Good evening. Welcome to another episode of Bobcast. True Bobcast with Mickey. Episode 8, the finale. The conclusion of Rust and Cole. Um, amazing things happening uh, on Sunday evening. Um, HBO Go crashed. Uh, the website uh, had a circle spinning, which I thought was really cool. Nobody could watch it. Uh, 11 million people uh, trying to tune in. Uh, the numbers still aren't even in because uh, HBO Go, I think, is still down. Um, the last time I checked, it was around 4 o'clock. Mickey, um, we're finally here at the end of our journey of uh, the true Bobcast. Give the audience out there just a general idea of how you're feeling. Yeah, without jumping the gun, without spoiling anything, I'm feeling pretty good about the ending of uh, True Detective. Uh, I, I didn't expect to be in the mental frame of mind that I'm in now when it all came to a conclusion, but I'm uh, certainly glad I am. That's great. The episode Form and Void is what we're talking about here on True Bobcast, and let's just get right into it. Um, you know, uh, the spaghetti monster with the green ears, the the search for Sam Tuttle's grandchild, uh, the opening scene shocked me because uh, this was the first time in the series we were watching something from another person's narrative, how they're living their life rather than Rust and Cole. So we get to see uh, Billy Childress in a shack, all sorts of uh, graffiti on the walls, uh, spells, casts, what have you. And um, he's having a conversation with um, something. We don't see uh, who he's talking to, but he does refer to it as his daddy. Mickey, uh, right off the bat, I mean, this was such a striking image. The push in on the spiral circle burn on his back. What was going through your mind? I was right there. I felt it. I was in that scene, that gruesome shack with uh, Errol Childress and the glimpse of the body on the table, which it still burned in my brain as to what that was. I feel like the little tease really set the tone for the rest of the episode, and I just loved it, man. And then he popped off, went back to his uh, house house, the house of the house of terror, Mickey. Real quick, since we haven't rehearsed this, and I just want to let the viewers know we haven't rehearsed this at all. This is all live off the top of our heads. But for the rest of the Bobcast, if we could refer to Childress's house as the house of terror, the house of terror it looked like something out of a Courtney Love Hole video in the nineties, <laughs> man. So good, the design is so paramount to this show, man. It was just. Everything is so thorough. And again, uh, again, again, they totally changed the entire tone from last week's episode. Just right off the bat, right out of the blue. Just, boom, hit you with it all. And you knew you're going in that it's on. Inside the house, we see dolls. Uh, we see a TV, which uh, he stops at. And if you do notice, there's several VHS, VHS tapes. Um, we can't see any of the titles, but... Um, the thing that happens next, which I mean, I mean, I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, this is different. And then it just does something. And the I've, I've thought of like about this in my mind like before, but it, to see it actually come to uh, fruition on screen, the changing of the accent, and like how he's like, uh, she's like, how you doing? He's like, top notch constitutional, and like I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Like, am I losing it right now, or is like you know, is he talking to his dog? Like, sorry, old chap. But a moment ago, he's like, I'll show you where Crowley is. And I'm like, wow, dude. Once again, you know, Nick 
Pizzolatto, he just totally uh, nails it out of the park once again, you know, and then we introduce the half-dim-witted sister, and, you know, she's asking, you want to make flowers today? And, uh, I mean, in this scene, too, this one scene where we have um, his half-sister walk in, and we've already learned two things. One, that he's got multiple dialects. Two, he hates his dog. But... Three, he changes, I think. Like, when he talks to uh, his sister on his lap, I think he's talking, like, Irish or Irish-Scottish. But a moment ago, he was British. And then he's got this other accent, which you hear um, where he's like, uh, tell me about Grandpa. It was crazy, man. Crazy. He's, he's, he became Batman all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, tell me about Grandpa. Did he... Run his fingers through your hair in the cane fields. Oh my god! Yeah, she starts spouting off about the cane fields, man. That shit sent chills down my spine too, man. Because mm -hmm. we all know that's the genesis of the series in the cane field. With which I'm gonna come right out, and I, I think it was Ledoux, and I think it was uh, Childress setting up the body. I think they were the first two. Perhaps um, the reason they were. The reason they were doing that was to make a sacrifice to the Yellow King to prove worthy or something. We'll get into that later in the show once we yeah, yeah. we dive down into the the abyss. Steve, uh, the sheriff, God, this fucking guy, you know. Uh, Russ is like, don't look at me, look at the TV, and like the one thing that I, I, it always just haunts me in the show is that we never get to see what's on that tape, but like it makes grown men shriek in terror. <laughs> True. You know, like I, I mean, I, you know, the voyeur in me is like, does something happen in there? Like, you remember uh, the ring? Like how like something happens? Like you know, I, I imagined uh, whatever it is that makes Steve that fat bastard scream like that. So you know, we get to talk about Marie Fontenot and stuff, and like you know, he explains himself saying some bullshit along the lines that it was the chain of command, it was the chain of command, and you know, Russ. Yeah, dude. Yo. I gotta say, I thought he was gonna. I thought he was gonna join them at that point. When that look in his eye, that was some good acting. He was so fucking shocked at what he saw. He's like, he sounded like a Nazi from Germany, being like, "I was just following orders, sir." You know what I'm saying? But yeah. I really thought he was gonna join. But then he wavered pretty quickly after Russ started intimidating him. So you know, that was a shock to me because I always felt like Steve had some sort of more uh, underlying relationship with it not just like paperwork you know what i mean so then like we quickly oh, learned yeah. that then now he's like you know uh going to be released and i'm shocked but cole goes through the whole thing about taking the gun and his badge and mailing it back to him and then uh you know for me personally here on the true bobcast bobcast i was more than elated to have a cameo than none other than bob the <laughs> bar owner and he takes out okay. uh sam's uh, <laughs> car man and just blows it to shit and then he's got the crosshairs right on his, you know, temple. And uh, I just, I love that scene. I love, like, how, like, Cole was, like, always two steps ahead, three steps ahead of, like, everybody else, like, prepared. Um, yeah, he gave the little, the wind, uh, he gave a little gesture in the air with his hand. He was like, come out. And uh, Bob started loading rounds. I love how Marty instinctually turns his head towards where his characters here in the uh, gunshots coming from, too. Like, he's trying to 
find out who this sniper is because he obviously doesn't even know that was going on. <laughs> so then we move forward in the story, and we're at the school grounds, and our uh, enemy, our villain of the story, is painting, I guess, what you would call the schoolhouse yellow. Which is strange because his color palette likes that he he shifts he does green as we find out later in one of uh, the more I guess uh, hair twirling moments of the script for me as a screenwriter we'll talk about that later here but uh, you know the young girl comes up to, or the young teacher comes up to uh, Childress and she's like you know I can bring you a lunch from the cafeteria or whatever and he gives her that gives her that look. Then the little boy walks over, and the way the little boy is acting, it's so great because he's, like, seeing the evil in Childress, you know? Yeah, he felt that evil presence. Like, he's, like I'm saying to myself, does he see the evil? But, um, yeah, I, I, I love the, the whole setup. It really felt to me like it was kind of like uh, moving into more of, like, you know, the Silence of the Lambs territory. And uh, I guess it should be, like, commented on. It was the first time that we ever saw this perspective of the story, that narrative and uh, I think that's why the show has become such a cult phenomenon is that it never actually showed any of the killings. You don't have to show that. It's about the the hunt. People like to go on a journey with each other, you know? But yeah, I want to jump in and just, you know, address any critic out there, compare this to any procedural. We got into this before. Procedural, procedural, procedural. There's nothing procedural about this show. It's light years beyond any of the greatest golden age of television shows we've been experiencing, dude. It, it, it trumps Dexter. It trumps Breaking Bad. I, I'm sorry. There's nothing procedural about this. F the critics. You know, speaking of Breaking Bad, there was um, a correlation that I made between the two. And, like, uh, okay, so, like, after, like, Cole's, like, you know, think about the little girl, Steve, and then, like, um, Bob the Sniper starts, like, you know, shooting the bullets and stuff. Do you recall at the end of uh, Breaking Bad uh, in the series finale uh, when uh, Walter White makes the same type of, uh, you know, uh, well, he doesn't actually have a sniper, but he's, like, trying to, uh, what was the name of the, the rich couple? I forget their names, but he had, like, Raccoon and, like, Ratchet and Slayer, the, the two, like, druggies shining lasers in there. The black box people, the gray matter people, Dr. Dr. White or black, whatever. Yeah, but they, I was like, okay, yeah, that's a similarity, you know, between the two. Speaking of uh, writing, that happens sometimes. You just draw upon shit, and you don't even know it. So uh, he gave the old wave too. He gave the gesture to the boys. Yeah, the, it's the gesture that everyone likes. <laughs> Go ahead, take him out. So the Tuttle Family Tree, man, I would love to get a copy of this Tuttle Family Tree because I'll be honest with you, I'm the host of True Bobcast with Mickey, and I have no clue about how, like, this, like, it started, I think, in the 1930s or the 40s, but we'll get into that later. So here we go. We're trying to figure out who Sam and Elizabeth Childress is, uh, or Elizabeth Childress may be the mistress and they may have one son. There's a whole bunch of things about birth records being wiped out. Um... We're back in Heart Investigative Solutions. Uh, we're looking around the room at evidence we've looked at for the last 17 years. Oh, yeah. The epiphany occurs. Huh? The epiphany. Okay, so the epiphany, to me, I, I, I read some stuff online today that criticizes, but we'll just get, we'll get it out there and uh, we'll describe what happened. So they're going through the evidence and then um, 
what does Cole say? Cole says something along the lines of, uh, we need to look at this or something with fresh eyes. Like, start from green or something. I, I forget the exact quote. I, on the Bobcast here, we should have all quotes written down, but... Like, yeah, I vaguely recall that. Piecing the green ears together. And Marty has epiphany. Describe to me what happens in Marty's mind. How does he piece together the identity of their guy? Well, I mean, I'm not kind of certain about that, but I like to believe that. They, that's one of the houses where they found one of the devil's nests in the backyard. Is that true? Is that, was that from true? what? From what I have here, it was from the 95 Dora Lang canvas photo. So when they were going around, they were interviewing people. And when they interviewed people, they saw they took pictures and then they saw the paint job and what the paint job would look like a before and after shot. So Russ, you know, he, he's at a loss and Marty walks over and he says, uh, Russ, come here. I've got it. He painted that house. And like in this one moment... After all that time, all that paperwork, it's the one detail nobody looked at. The, uh, if I'm not wrong, the opposite of yellow is green, right? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. I guess. I, I guess they're but, next to each other there. I don't know. So they piece it together. And then, you know, they're back on the road because now they're going to go back to the original house and see if they can collect any more information from the Dora Lang house, right? Uh, and then I thought of you actually when this scene happened because you were saying on the previous pre-finale Bobcast that uh, the episode would repeat itself. So it was like the same car scene kind of happening, you know, in 95 now yeah. happening, you know? Yeah, he was, he was getting into it again, but it was like a different different take. That was the conversation about... Uh, whether or not he held back, was that that one or no? Were you holding back? Do you think you could have uh, put me down? <laughs> Something's been bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought he was going to be like, why'd you fuck my wife there, Marty? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marty, um... Marty is he's curious to know if Cole was holding back. Yeah, he... he uh, confides that uh he maggie told him that you know it wasn't his fault he was drunk we go into a discussion about choices choices that we make and how it you know shapes our character and our destiny or whatever and you know cole has some great lines back at marty where he's like uh i'm uh he's like i'm I'm upset that you were using a good woman to use our partnership to get rid of uh to get rid of us as partners you know human moment there as we've seen Russ become a little more um, open in the, in the past couple episodes it, it really added to that and you know eventually where it finally gets to makes a lot more sense now because mm-hmm. it's like where he, he has been the darkest character in the history of you know history uh, he, he lightened up you know and, and despite everyone saying he was really dark last week again it, it, you see you know what, what becomes you know what I mean Cole has a great line about not wanting to pass judgment, and that is something we have talked about here on the Bobcast. Uh, it's part of uh, the choices we make. But yeah, uh, Cole made a, a choice, and uh, yeah, he banged Maggie, and somehow or another they're back in the car doing the exact same thing, and I just have in my notes a big circle because it was like going back in time. 
We're actually going back in time again because now we're back at the Dora Lang house, back on the 95 site, and we meet the new owners. The new owners say that uh, this isn't – they weren't living here in 95. Their grandma was. Their grandma's living at, uh, I think it was Abbey Retirement uh, Home. Here we are with the detectives again, their last interview. And uh, Marty's like, yeah, did you uh, get your house painted uh, back in 95? Do you remember who painted that house? Uh, he, did he have any uh, – so no, actually, yeah, it's the old lady. The old lady's like, uh, he had these scars around his. I'm like, boom, like you know what I mean? Like this whole time they didn't interview the the grandma. I don't know. They didn't know about the paint in '95. It's just amazing, like isn't how. What I'm talking about isn't wasn't that the house they were at when the lady had the shaky hands and shit? We'll have to go back and look, but that's I guess you know a future detective cast, but um. Kind of it. Yeah, this is it. I'll fire it off. This is it. And I'll find it out. I'll do some. I'll dig. All right. So, so then we we uh, determine that uh, the man with the scars is painting the house. Then we go back to Heart Investigative Solutions, and we can use tax records there to determine if uh, the man who lived there uh, wrote it off as a tax return. Uh, Butch, I think his name was. So yeah, he wrote it off to uh, Childress and Son Maintenance. Uh, which is coincidentally the same name as the sheriff. Um, and they trace business records. Uh, they find out about Billy Childress having a son named William Lee Childress, uh, who lives somewhere on the Creole Trail on Highway 27 South. So, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's a lot to process at this moment. I guess we're halfway through uh, episode 8. So in my mind, I have no idea. Where, like, where where do you think this is going at this point? Uh, I mean, at this point, I thought they were gonna go to the um house that was in the beginning of the episode. You know, I'm like, they're gonna go there. They're gonna go intercept. They're gonna go involve themselves with this. And to me, it was Ledoux saying, "You'll do this again. You'll be here again." You know, and here we are creeping into the bayou, creeping into the forest, unknowing what's going to happen, not following procedure, and it's great. I love it. I'm ready. I was just ready. I was like, let's get the ball rolling. Let's get started. Reggie Ledoux? Oh. Reggie Ledoux did this, man? Fuck you, man. Let me out of here. (laughs) But, um... Okay, so so we're at the midpoint of the script. So here's like what's going on in my mind right now at th- at this part of the show. Do you remember when uh, Reggie Ledoux was looking at Cole and he's like, "Black stars, he sees you." Like, um, it, it, I I imagine in my mind that what Ledoux is talking about there is he sees Cole in the temple. Like, he was predicting the future when he was looking up into the sky. And, yeah, it's wild. But, uh, Reggie motherfucking Ledoux. What a character, man. I know, that guy's gotta come through. I heard him and uh, the actual actor who portrayed Ledoux are now friends, and they, um, have dogs or something. They met on Twitter. Black stars. He sees you. Black <laughs> Man, I love that character. It was okay, great. Wait, wait, wait. Wait a minute. Here I am here. Uh, the first time is when they're talking to Dorlang, 
Thorvine's mother, uh, where the fuck is that, though? Huh. I love the scene. I, know, I love the scene where, um, where Cole's back in his bar and he was with Bob and he's got all the media packages addressed to like Fox News, CBS and all that shit. Yep. And like, I was like, all right, that's great. They can get the word out. And at this point, I'm realizing that they're preparing also to die. You know what I mean? Like at least Cole is in his mind. Like he just wants this message to get out. Um, so then we, uh, we go to a diner where uh, Woody... Uh, Marty, and you know, actually, real quick here on the Bobcast, let's make a correction. Last Bobcast, pre-finale, I referred to Marty as Mickey maybe twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all over the place, but you can't blame us, man. It's the show that's doing it. It's the know? show that did it to us, yes. Us, the show is leading us to uh, exploit our own dyslexic uh, characteristics here. It's not us, man. You can't hold us accountable. Spirals, man. Papa and I was like, why am I here? Why am I here? And like, uh, Marty's like, you, I can read. Him, I can't. And yeah, then he tells, you know, and then he tells the them they've been working. Honesty, totally. The honesty of this episode is the great, like, you know, we'll, we'll pop off, but everyone's just so straightforward in this episode. There's no, you know, like, as far as what's actually going on. You know, not not the sprawl, not not to turn the sprawl, but in the actual, boom, one, two, three, honesty is, is rampant. You know something, you obstructing. <laughs> yeah, that's good. He's like, what do you know? Go fuck yourself. What do you know? Go fuck yourself. You know, that back mm -hmm. and forth, that banter. Make sure you come yeah, running. But uh, we're back in the car, man. We're smelling the the same things at this point. We're uh, the same things with the aluminum and ash. Yeah. Ash. And yo, you know what's great about it this time, though? Despite watching him forward and backwards all these uh, past couple weeks, is this time I knew that he had that condition where he's he 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 tastes certain memories or whatever. He explained to everyone in the bar that night. Remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. That's what's going through my mind when he smelled it this time. The taste. Um, I guess to me, uh, what the writer might have been trying to convey is that he smells like hell on earth. You know what I mean? Like the bad things, the darkness. So um, yeah. we're in the car, and I'm just like, I am, my heart's pumping. I'm like thinking to myself, like I keep looking at the clock. It says like around 9.35, 9.36. I'm like, man, this is it. It's coming to an end. Where the hell are we going to go? Christ, we go into the fucking devil's lair. <laughs> Carcosa, motherfucker. We pull up, uh, and we, the music, man. Let's talk about the special effects. Now, it says in the credits that T-Bone Burnett does the music, but I want to know who does them damn special effects, dude, and where I can get them. There's this noise to Carcosa that happens in the background when uh, Russ gets out of the car, and it's this, like, mosquito-ish, like, reverberation through I guess time and it's just the most scariest thing dude I wrote that down on my notes this is like awesome a, is, it a is it a locust or something I don't know I mean the sound to me isn't like really like uh, from this world I mean obviously it's put together with some sort of you know editing machine I use GarageBand from my MacBook for the Bobcast but um 
we get into the driveway and like, man, I'm just like, holy shit, this is it. We see from the POV of the half-sister in the window. And then later we see uh, Childress himself's POV from the Shed of Terror. And then we're looking up at the House of Terror, and we're just, holy shit, you know? We get to a point where uh, Rust looks over at Marty, and he's like, this is it, Marty. Like, uh, that was it. That was the final Marty. Marty. That was the final Marty? The final one, I, I think. I think so. I think so. Don't quote me, but that was one of the best ones. I heard that, and I got a little erection. <laughs> Marty. Marty. <laughs> this, this is the place. He's like, you better call Papina. So, of course, I've run into this myself before with the notion of a screenplay I'm writing right now about being at sea and using your cell phone. Marty's cell phone don't work. He ain't got no signal. So he goes into this detective mode of uh, the professional sur- surveyors. I love how they uh, use that as a cover <laughs> to get into places. I'm going to go. I mean, like. Is it that easy to be a detective or a private eye? I, I don't know. But um, we're, we're just in a moment of pure suspense right here. We're, we're separating. We're looking at the POV again of uh, Childress in the Shed of Terror. We see Cole. We see Cole uh, walking closely. Uh, we see now Woody, excuse me, Marty at the door talking to Half-Sister. And, you know, I, I love fucking Marty, dude. I mean, like, talk about in the beginning how he's like, I got a real gregarious personality. And then he's like, uh, you know, our professional surveys were lost like a couple of greenhorns. I love greenhorns, yeah. dude. What is that shit? Yeah. He just, he just flips right into it. And I got to give props to whoever played that dim-witted half-sister, backwood bitch. I'll kick you, dog. I'll kick you. She kept fucking threatening that mutt. So uh, Marty's like, you know, straight up, where is he? And uh, she delivers these lines, which are uh, chilling, man. She's like, all around us, before you were born, and after you die. And I'm like, holy shit, dude. Is this TV? You know? <laughs> yeah, it was great, man. It was like, it was it was still so supernatural at that point. You know what I mean? In, in my heart, it was still real. Like, the, the, the Errol Childress character was still this fucking medium for pure evil on earth and then you know he, he kicks in the door he shakes her down rust is like marty clear the house maybe there was another marty i think he just said clear the house i don't know either way it's the same as the ladue situation proceed yeah i mean uh the whole thing with the guns drawn like as soon as their guns are drawn like it's just here we go and it's just this uh great sequence that uh nick came up with um we move around the building and we see uh, Cole with the drawings on the Shed of Terror. And, like, then I realized to myself, like, holy sh- like, this guy's, like, going to these places and doing, like, Banksy. Yeah, yo, he's Banksy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yo, we saw more mysteries on the pod, Bobcat. True Bobcat, Banksy is Harold Childress. Banksy is the Yellow King. <laughs> Hashtag... Yeah. True detective, hashtag true Bobcast. So it's just, it's terrifying at this point. There's a shot, man, that just scares the shit out of me. And it's a shot that I like to call the Michael Myers shot. It's the shot that's like the camera's really, really far back and you see the figure standing in the direct background. The foreground just covered with uh, mangrove, if you will, the brush. And we see children standing up on the hill. Cole's got his gun drawn. 
you know, says, you know, freeze, get down, motherfucker. And uh, he delivers this line again, man, Childress, man, that terrifying fourth accent, I guess you call it, like a demon's accent. And uh, we go in this, like, wild uh, goose chase through the, the woods. He says just no when uh, he uses that demon accent, too. Listen to it. It's, it's crazy. We're back in the house with Marty, and it stinks. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the disgust inside the house of terror. Yeah, it's pretty ratchet. When Marty busts in, a dog escapes, right, and goes running towards uh, Childress, right? But then he, he, he proceeds into the house of terror and just catches up with the Maud, let's call her, uh, in the bathroom, which he's like taking a shit. <laughs> and that house is fucking so ratchet, man. Uh, he goes through them 70 style bees and, you know, it looks like he's about to blow her fucking head off. No whole barred shit, big dick style. <laughs> I love it, man. I, 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 it was so real. It's so visceral. Um... <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a shot, man, that uh, cracks me up. Like, she's got her shirt over her mouth. But when Marty first comes in the bathroom, man, I thought she had her sock. <laughs> I thought she had a sock in her mouth. <laughs> yeah, dude. I thought she was, like, eating toilet paper with, like, shit all over it, man. And then Marty's like, Marty, I like when Marty's like, where's your fucking phone? <laughs> like, everyone's got a phone, you know? Oh, man, total moment. Like the whole the, the whole duration, he's playing it like she is like probably like a normal human. But then once he realizes that she's a fucked up mental case, he goes into that like aggressive, fucking smooth, demanding detective role. It just fucking owns, man. The dog gets out. The no Michael Myers shot occurs, and after they move forward in that a little bit, I don't know if it's going on while they're in the house. Russ passes the dog, and I, what do he do to the dog? What happened to the dog? I I don't know. I mean, I guess he had that knife on him, but um, I I, met, I didn't hear I hear no gunshot either. That or he punched the dog, but uh, that was terrible. Um, once uh, Marty leaves Dimwitted half sister Maud, he proceeds out to the shed of terror where we see uh, the mummy. I'd call him. I got so many questions about this mummy. How old is that mummy? How is he preserving that mummy? Yeah. That's Billy Childress, though. That's the former sheriff. That's Billy Childress. So if that's Billy Childress, how's he keeping him preserved? Like, is he pumping him with formaldehyde? Like, he sewed his mouth shut. I guess he, I don't know. I, that, it was just terrifying. You know what I mean? And, like, who else better to witness it, RPOV, than Marty? Like, Marty's reactions throughout the whole series to any type of violence, to any type of disgust. I like when he like even pulls his uh, lips back enough where he can see the gap in his teeth. <laughs> he looks so... his face, yeah, his face. He looks so funny, man. <laughs> his face was awesome right there, man. He was so fucking like terrified, just pissed off, man. So good. So now I guess yeah. this is this is I'm sorry, I didn't hear that last part. Go ahead. How was that body preserved, man? And who knows, was it alive? What the fuck? Yeah, and you know, we move past the shed. Marty's trying to find Cole out in the woods. And then we come to, I guess, the greatest big reveal. The Yellow King Temple, which I watched uh, some stuff today uh, on HBO. Uh, 
they, when they were looking for the set for this big piece, they were looking at like what would be, I guess, imagine like the Civil War and like uh, the North and the South batter, battling along the Louisiana Bayou and stuff. They would build forts into the ground, so it's easy now to think that Childress uh, has this fort on his property. And uh, he uses it for, like, the most evil thing possible. The whole series, we see um, the devil sticks all around, you know, um, the area. And then we're in this temple where everything now is big and we're walking through it like a maze, man. I love that. It felt like a like a like the final level of a video game. Yeah, I got to give huge props to that. that. I mean... If, if anything ever took me out of the mood of that, was just that, of the show, True Detective, was that, it was that set. It was so fucking awesome, dude. The design, the, the time that must have went into making all those sticks and just the reality of that set, man. Now that you mentioned the World War One shit, it was probably like, that was probably like Abu Ghraib of the Civil War shit. They were down there fucking torturing the Yankees and shit and just, who knows? That's a good point. Um, well, yeah, that's wild, man. Been around for cent- like uh, at least you know two centuries. Uh, this is Carcosa. You know what they did to me? We see more mummies. Um, he talks about witnesses to my journey, alkalis. It's crazy shit, dude. You know what I mean? Like people who watched him do this evil shit, thinking about Reggie Ledoux at this point. We're diving deeper, deeper, deeper into this like tunnel of just terror, and um, I, I, I believe it's hard on the show. And there's actually some funny shit online about how hard it is to re- to understand what the characters are saying because they're using such southern thick accents. But uh, I think that um, Childress is referring to Cole as little priest, or is he saying little prince? Uh, did you catch that? I think both. I, I think it, yeah. I think it's just like some kind of like. Uh psychopathic, or I'm sorry, metapsychotic uh, phrase he thought up for, you know, anyone pursuing him, you know? Yeah. I think it was Little Priest. It was Little Priest, though. So Marty uh, enters into the temple uh, just from the good grace of hearing Cole's voice one time. <laughs> I guess the property's not that big. Uh, Marty's in there. Marty sees clothes. He sees shoes. He sees, you know, remnants of uh, past victims. He's got that great look on his face, that Marty, I'm pissed look. And um, we're just going through it like a haunted house at this point. Uh, eventually, um, we keep hearing, uh, I, I I wonder sometimes, I guess, if the voice of Childress, since it sounds so large in these rooms, is uh, in Cole's head. Like, is he hearing this? Is he yeah. seeing Carcosa? Is he, you know in this, in a different realm, talking about the fourth dimension on the Bobcast, true Bobcast. It was wild, man. It was a... Yeah, that's what I'm I'm saying. The the supernatural was still in high effect at that point. I was thinking the same thing. Was it in his head? What what is going on here? What is real? Um, So we get... We we turn a corner. The search keeps going, right? And uh, we see the room. The the temple. Uh... The eye in the sky, if you will. We walk into this room and we realize, well, first thing I realized into myself is like, is this was where they filmed it? They actually had a camera here and they were doing all these terrible things. Uh, we look up, uh, we see, you know, the hole in the temple. 
the eye in the sky, which is funny because it's referred to a lot as, you know, the all-seeing eye, and that's the reason um, psychopaths and uh, sociopaths, murderers, kill in the first place is because they believe they're doing it for God, which is crazy shit, dude. So we're in here. We're in here with Rust Man, and he's looking around. Uh, he's inspecting it. The special effects are once again amazing, putting you into the atmosphere. And this moment, dude, is just fucking crazy, man. Like it was the one oh shit moment for Bob here, is when Rust looks up at the ceiling, man, and it's just like one big intergalactic cosmos, and like it's a huge wormhole, and like it's just this amazing moment, you know. And we've seen, you know awesome uh, types of illusions, uh, hallucinations, if you will, from uh, Russ's time in the H-I-D-T-A. <laughs> yes. Yeah, dude. When that fucking vortex opened up in the sky, I was so elated. You know, I read some critic shit on the internet where they were saying, anyone prepared for Cthulhu to jump out of the sky... You know, sorry you got let down, but regardless, man, I was feeling that too. That whole supernatural thing was coming to a head at that moment. Uh, I've been a huge fan of the psychedelic flashbacks throughout the series. You know, I wish they were more prevalent. They were few and far between, but the way it just came out was so awesome, man. And I was like, ah. <laughs> and then, boom, Childress emerges from the vortex, fucking Ugh! guts him like a fish. So we go from like we go from like an all time high to an all time low. Let's talk about that real quick. Like, how did you feel? Like, okay, we just saw the intergalactic cosmos. We're having the time of our life. Like, we're on a Disney ride, about to, you know, do the summit at Splash Mountain. We're just elated, and then boom, one of our favorite characters of all time <laughs> gets stabbed in the fucking chest, and Childers he's like, take off your mask. Dude, it was pure, I, it was a mixture of emotions. I'm like, holy shit, dude. Is this really happening? Is Nick killing off Cole? What's going through your mind at this point? Dude, fear? My heart was fucking racing, dude. Like, I love when TV shows are that captivating, that you can escape reality that deeply. And I was just, my heart was pumping. I was like, fuck, Marty, where are you, dude? Get there. Fucking save the day. Get in the fucking Eye of God room and just pop that motherfucker. But uh, he kept going. He kept raising them off the floor. And like you said, he said, take off your mask. And it's like, it's not really, really revealed at that point what's going on. But then later, like, it all comes to a head. We'll pop off. And then I'm just, I'm shocked, man. I'm, I'm, I'm beside myself at that point. I'm scared. But I'm, like, excited. And like, I'm just fully engaged, man. Fully engaged. True Bobcast. Dude, the part the, I'm I'm like okay, okay, do something, do something, Cole, and then he does uh what I like to call the crash headbutt. <laughs> First time I've ever seen Cole's hair come out the ponytail. Let's note that, okay? <laughs> dude, the way he's looking at Childress when he's popping them off, and then the blood starts <laughs> drip, dude, and the knife's going deeper, and I'm just like, holy shit, thinking the same thing, Marty. Where the fuck are you? Um. And then the, the headbutt works. Uh, I don't know how many blows, three or floor, four. <laughs> but Childress winds up on the floor. You know, and uh, Marty... I think Mar it's four. Yeah, four times. Okay, so then, you know, Childress is stunned. He's on the floor. He's trying to regain himself. He regains himself. Cole is just fucking flat out, you know, on the ground with a knife 
in his belly, staring up at the eye in the sky. Marty enters the room, dude. And this shit, man. Holy shit, dude. Like, okay, it hasn't... Like, you're about to kill off my favorite character. Now you're going to kill off my equally as favorite character. But, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. The fucking axe to the neck. Oh, dude. I mean, like, where have you ever seen that on a show? An axe to the upper shoulder, dude. Like, it would be terrible. Oh, my God. I, the, the violence and degradation at this point is just so intense. The headbutts, the knives, the tomahawks to the chest. Four shots to Childress does nothing. Everyone's just fucking, oh, my God. Can you even imagine? Can you even imagine that situation in reality? I, I can't imagine what's going on like uh, in the minds of these two guys. Like, it was the first time, too, I've ever seen Cole distracted. Like, his reflexes have always been really good from the time in episode four where he gets off the ground and he's like, here's another one. Get up, motherfucker. And then, like, uh, Cole, like, does that, like, combo move and uh, gashes them both in the head with the gun. He was completely distracted by this vision that he had, like, seen. And, like, I guess we should talk about, like, okay, all the times he sees these things and he says that, you know, this is a condition that he never gets better. Was it, like, I mean, like, okay, like, is it the possibility that, like, he... Like, in my mind, I had a hard time the next morning because, obviously, I'm thinking, you know, Cole's about to die. I thought that he had seen that first because he was anticipating his death. And it was, like, this great psychedelic uh, flashback or, you know, illusion, hallucination that totally distracts him and takes him out of the moment, dude. It was wild, dude. Like, when I woke up at, like, I guess four, yeah. 5 o'clock in the morning, I couldn't tell if it like that had happened and then... It was weird because yeah, watching it one time, it happened so quickly. But, um, yeah. yeah, dude, it's just pure mayhem at this point. Marty's got the fucking axe in his chest. Okay, and Childress, here he comes, looking nasty, right? And, like, Marty's just screwed, man. He's on the floor bleeding. He looks like shit. The axe, I mean, I can't, that's just terrible right there, by the way. I, I can't, can't even imagine a steady recovery from that. And I'm like, he's got to be dead. I it, like, in his lung, and, like, he couldn't breathe. I know. I thought they were both dead. I'm like, this is it. Yeah, like, this is it. They're both dead, right? Uh, you know, and then I'm okay. Like, I'm thinking, okay, one of them's got to die just completely. And like, okay, here comes Childress down with the axe. One more time. Marty's dead. Marty's not dead. Boom. Headshot. Childress, Childress goes down. And uh, it's a moment of just, you know... Shock, the whole situation, the visions, the sacrifices that are being made here. The two uh, get together, you know, and uh, Cole's like, he got me pretty good, Marty. Uh, we hear sirens in the distance. Uh, it's crazy, man. When he's pulling that knife out, whew, man. Dude, that was the that was the whole, I mean, I think I might have said this before, but like, Experiencing the show as the sieve of an hourglass where sand passes through. I might have said that before, I might not have, but that moment after they blew Children's Head was the final sieve, dude. That was like all the time ran out. And, and, we're, and then anything after that is like the rap, you know, and everything after that moment when it popped Children's in the head and, you know, redid the Ledoux situation as, as predicted. Uh, after that, it was all just kind of like fallout. And, I, I love what happens next, man. <clears throat> I, I'm such a fan. I feel changed 
as as a person. I mean, I, uh, in the time frame, you know, we just pushed the clocks ahead. Uh, spring is sprung. It's like sixty degrees today. It's like it's it's crazy. The children's just bad. <laughs> right, Easter came early this year on the Bobcast. Uh, so I mean, like we're, we're left at this moment where Marty hears uh, the sirens, the flare in the sky, goes past the eye in the sky, and for one brief second there, Mickey, I thought, "Holy shit, is that flare gonna drop right on them and burn them?" <laughs> it looked like that. It looked like it was coming right in, dude. It had to be special effects, but the special effects person didn't think that went through all the way because it looked like it was coming right at him. So then we we do the first. So yeah, this is this. I guess what happened was he finally found the phone in the house of terror, and it took them that long to get out there. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. it, it it fades. And again, a little Bobcast prediction. I thought this was the end in my mind. I wasn't clock watching, but it, it fades out through all the history, all the scenes, and it ends up on the sugarcane field with the tree. Dude, it gives you one last look as like the closure of that saga. And yeah. Again, the rest is all so, so the ending, um, the ending is uh, under some criticism online. Some people accusing it of being one thing and not the other. But I personally too love the ending. I, um, I was excited that you know they were fading to black, but I was also nervous because every time it faded to black, I'm like, no, 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 don't be it, don't be it, don't be it. I need more. I need more. You know. Yeah. I needed closure with Marty and Cole. I needed it, you know? So we do the first fade of the black, and then, you know, thankfully we're at the hospital. As a viewer, I'm like, yes, there's a chance. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we see Marty, man, and Marty Woody Harrelson delivers a great performance here. He's coming out of his uh, recovery, you know? Um, I thought it was a terrific scene. You know, he's like, I'm happy to see y'all, you know? And um, Maggie grabs uh, Marty's hand. I don't know if you noticed or not, but uh, she had a huge diamond engagement ring on, which means that she's either married yeah, or, did, or engaged. So, uh, Woody, he's so good in the scene, man. God, I love this this character. Uh, he goes through a whole thing yeah. where he's like, I'm good, I'm fine, I'll be fine. I mean, I, I am more, fine. I'm a little emotional at that point, dude. Yeah, and it, he, he just, I mean, that was great seeing a character just hit, you know, the bottom and his reaction, I thought, was perfect. I thought it was uh, just brilliant on Woody's behalf. So um, on the True Bobcast, we give him total props for that. And then we fade the black. It starts to unveil here, though. It starts to unravel here where the masks are off at this point. Like, we know that there's no real supernatural elements to the whole murder investigation. It's just the uh, inner workings of what Cole said was a metapsychotic. He came up with all this shit, uh, autoerotic, you know, neurotic, uh, whatever the fuck he was saying in episode one. It's all true. It's not really supernatural, which is great. It's grounded in reality. And, you know, the whole masks, the face you wear is not your own, was delivered to, I think, by a preacher, Theriot, and then, you know, Tommy said it to Cole and he gutted him. And it's like Marty's man finally split off when he was sitting there talking to Maggie. He's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. He's been saying all along. He was just a regular cop with a big old dick. But nah, man, he was fucking troubled. And it was like at that moment he witnessed his, how he fucking, you know, just threw everything away. But Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he I delivers. When he started fucking losing it, I was like, Jesus Christ. He delivers a really great emotional scene. Uh, we fade to black again. And then we go through uh, the newswire and we see. Uh, 
we find out the rest of the public is uh, now learning of Childress and um, the serial killer. Um, there's bodies being found on the site. We see the House of Terror one more time. And then uh, we wind up back in uh, Cole's room. Uh, we're looking through his POV outside the window. As a viewer, I'm thinking, thank God he's alive. Yeah. Christ, he looks like shit. Two, his hair's down. <laughs> he's got the most bloody eye ever. And uh, he's got this look in his eye. And I'm just like, holy shit, you know, like. You love the, you love the hair. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's great. But, um, yeah, I, I'm wondering what's he looking at. Uh, I also, I mean, like, as an avid viewer, I guess the golden age of television, which we're talking about here, thought about a episode of The Sopranos where James Gandolfini's character, Tony Soprano, dies and goes into a coma, and he's in a hotel room looking out at, like, a beacon of light. It was weird. It was just a correlation there on the true Bobcast. So then we get to a point where, um, you know, Cole's asleep in the room, and Marty's there looking, you know, just so great, <laughs> drinking out of his pink cup. Uh, they exchange... Oh, yeah, that look on his the look on his face is great. Yeah, he looks like a goddamn kid, like, sucking on a lollipop. He's like, <laughs> and Ross, though, he's still, he's like, I seen him, Marty. I saw him. I didn't know. Yeah, I saw him back in 9 to 5, Marty. And, like, you know, he's like, that's your problem? What are you, like, <laughs> and they go through the whole thing. Oh, he's the best, like. Uh, I love when Cole's there, he's like, what you doing here, man? And he's like, were you watching me? <laughs> like, I thought that was great. Um, <laughs> yeah, the whole fucking the whole the whole run, man, because it was just you know, and 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 Marty's telling how like we're not going to get them all. That's not the way the world works. That's so awesome. It's like the Yellow King. It's never. It, it is never addressed what or who the Yellow King is. You know what I mean? And it's it's like like that that King in Yellow book by that guy. Children's is that his name? Even Jesus. Christ. Uh, his name's Chambers, but you just experienced. Eighteen hundreds, man. They just leave it. Chambers, Chambers. They leave it off, and it, it just it instills terror in everyone. It's like the video. Oh God, the video is the Yellow King. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like that. It's like that character that is like an act or some shit. I don't fucking know. So then we have a great exchange of middle fingers well, again. I love that part when they uh, flash each other the bird. And then uh, we go outside of the the hospital room for a second, man. And in my mind, I'm thinking, like, holy shit, like, okay, they're both alive. There's a little bit of an ominous tone to the background music. And I'm thinking, holy shit, is somebody coming in that we had no clue related to the case? And, like, you know, hospital, you know, pop, like a hospital, like a hit, like take out Cole and Marty. But I'm like, all right, thank God that's not happening. We start to pan through the flat circle of the Louisiana Bayou, if you will. We're back at Reggie Ledoux's house. Um, we're back yeah. at that tree, man. That fucking beautiful tree where it all started. One of the most criminal... Oh, is that where it happened? The tree. My bad. Sorry. Excuse me earlier. I thought we were already there. No, no, that's fine. But, I mean, if you think about it, it's not that you weren't already there. It was That's what was going on the whole story. It's the whole collection of the evidence, the places, how we talk here on the True Bobcast, that the landscape was a character in this series, which made it the exceptional piece of pop culture history that it's uh, now becoming and will be. And uh, here we go again. We're back at the hospital, dude. We're outside the hospital. It's nighttime. And this is like the most 
beautiful written sequence ever, man. We see a multitude of oh different things God. happen here. We see the character arcs complete perfectly. Mm-hmm. They teach you in screenplay that you got to yeah. go from point A to point Z or C, whatever, you know. And it definitely happens here. And uh, we got a great moment where everyone looks a little bit more healthier, including Cole. He's still in the wheelchair, still a little uh, sewn up, beat up. His eyes a little bit more healed. And we got a great scene here, man. Uh, the gift to Cole scene. How did you feel about this scene, Mickey? I fucking loved it, dude. Like, I, I, I seriously am just so into the way that, you know, this apparent twist ending began to unroll, be, unravel, because everybody was expecting the darkest fucking, you know, outcome in the world, you know? Everybody was thinking, Audrey, the, the daughter's going to get killed, or, like, everyone's going to die. And, like, what we got was so, like, fucking inspirational and so motivational instead. He hands in the box of cigarettes. He's like, are you proposing to me? If I'm proposing to you, would have had a bigger ribbon. You know, just like the, 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 the jibs, the jabs. And then the reconnaissance in all its <laughs> fucking glory. over, man. And yo, what? How? When he's like, uh, you know, I shouldn't fucking be here, Marty. He's like, I shouldn't fucking be here, Marty. You know, and like, Marty's like, you know, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, it's something else. And Marty's like, talk to me, Rust. We got an Emmy moment coming up right here, man. Emmy moment is what I call it right here. If McConaughey doesn't get the Emmy for this, it's uh, what I like to call the vague awareness of the dark speech. And it's just amazing, dude. McConaughey, I mean, he really hits it on all four cylinders, man. It's just a tour de force of acting. I mean, the description of what happens here, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. It was emotional. Uh, it, it was, uh, you know, a great part of, uh, television history here. Uh, definitely people could uh, relate to the church of Rustin Cole, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, dude, I'm a believer. Sign me up. Marty. So, I mean, he goes into this whole thing about how he could feel, you know, things for the very first time. And, like, he goes into this whole, like, um, study of, I guess, like, how, like, you know, his his daughter who had passed and his father. And he realizes that he was a part of something, some sort of substance, I think he calls it, uh, which is related to everything that he's ever loved. And um, he talks about how he can still feel their love there. And, of course, he's talking about, you know, what the great mystery of life is. Is this really everything? And episode seven, um, Russ, when he leaves the old black woman's house, you know, he says, I really hope that old woman was wrong. And like Marty's like, what are you talking about? He's like about death not being the end of everything. Kind of uh, the whole Cole thing of wanting to die, but uh, contemplating um, suicide, but not being able to do it. Thinking about Jesus on the cross, embracing, you know, the end of him. It's just amazing, dude. Like everything, like religion, everything coming into play, everything that, at least in my childhood, you know what I mean? Like people saying, you know, what the end of the world is. And I I think I've actually said on the Bobcast maybe that I feel as if the last like, you know, seconds of your life is something like this, a substance. And it's not like this super mall of America that we walk into that we like to think is called heaven. It's just this feeling, this warm feeling, the warm feeling, I guess, of like what it's like to give birth to a baby. 
and it's great because it's the whole circle of life. You know what I mean? Go back to Christ. I mean, 20 years ago, we were watching The Lion King talking about the same thing. Pop culture loves to talk about uh, life in general and what's the what's at the end of it. So it's just heartbreaking, yeah. man. Heartbreaking. McConaughey, dude. Again, tears. Oh, my God. The McConaughey. That was like the fucking statue of David of the McConaughey of acting. Just impeccable, bro. Uh, when he was like, hey, what did he say? He's like, and I'm beginning to feel, yeah. <laughs> 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 Yo, man. Right yeah, man. I can feel it, man. Right yeah, I can feel it. Um, it was right there. God, and then, and then you know, Marty being so smart, Marty, like this, this part of the, the dialogue too, I'm like thinking in my mind, like, why did Nick have Marty say these lines? And then I realized that Marty was trying to make Cole feel uh, at ease with him and like get him back to a ground level. And he starts to, he's like, well, you tell me about them stories uh, up in Alaska, you know, the stories about the stars. Yeah. And we're talking about stories, man. And yeah, this is man. what we're talking about on True Bobcast. We're talking about a story. And McConaughey, man, delivers the great line. It's just one story, man. It's the oldest. And it is the oldest story. It is the secret of life. That's why the show is so popular. Yes. So it's just great. And Marty's like, you know, Marty being Marty and just the great character that we love who uh, types up the stats while Cole goes and gets the information needed, (laughs) wants to know... What is the the greatest story? And uh, McConaughey again delivers the great line about the light versus the darkness. Oh yeah, the light versus the darkness, and that's unbeknownst to us what we've been talking about this whole time. The duality we might have called it, the mirroring of all that in this. But it really is the inner darkness and the inner light, and the fact that neither one is positive or negative, but you know they're there. There's two. And it goes back to the title of the final episode, Form and Void, same thing. Yeah. It's just so fucking perfect, man. It's, like, so artistic. It's so much more than just, uh, you know, a TV show. It's, like, art and it's philosophy, but it's masked as a fucking cop procedural. It's the greatest. Uh, Fuck the critics, man. We are the critics. We are giving the high praise for a bartender, motherfucker. And we are the ones... Carrying this torch for the reconnaissance and for the fucking golden age of television. Let's not forget Woody, dude. Woody, the I guess I mean this this the one thing it's so hard. Okay, say for instance you're writing an ensemble cast. If you write an ensemble cast, you can move around all sorts of different characters. Take the show Lost, for example. I mean, Christ, how many main characters were on there? On this show, we got two characters, and in these eight episodes, I feel like I've known these guys my whole life. Yeah, well, you do. They, they they showed their whole last 35 years of their life or whatever. <laughs> Dude, the light versus the darkness, man. Underneath the sky, uh, the vague awareness of the dark speech, it, it wraps up. I mean, it's a great emotional moment. We're, we're just feeling uh, great that these guys are going out together. I mean, it could have been a really dark ending. Um, yeah, I know. But this shit's like Pulp Fiction on fucking acid. How do you even write a structured story like that with time as a as a, an essential character narrative? Well, I don't even know. Like you got to invent new screenwriting techniques just to describe the show. Nick Polizzato 
you're a fucking genius if you're listening. I don't know where the fuck you came from or what gave birth to this idea, but it's amazing. And uh, I get mad respect for this shit every fucking day. And like you're saying, like we're saying, Marty or uh, Cole, he goes on to talk about he thinks that the battle's going on, and, and, and Marty's like, well, I think darkness has a lot more coverage. A lot more territory. And then Marty, like, a lot more territory, and Marty, uh, Cole, comes in and just, he's like, yeah, but in the beginning it was all dark. <laughs> you know, so now there is light, and it's like light is definitely shining through, and he gives that high hopes of light, you know, eventually winning out in the end, and it's so magic, man. It's so hopeful. It's so fucking awesome right now. A great I magical moment, too, for me. Uh, in the Okay, so the script's just hitting it. You know, it's just fucking perfect. And like we get another great Marty and Cole moment where uh, Cole decides he's done with hospitals. He's not going back into the hospital. There's nothing in there that's uh, worthy to him anymore. He, does, he wants to leave that all behind him and move on. And he's like, Marty, get me out of here. <laughs> like... Marty says Marty says this great line, man. I love at this this moment of just pure, you know, like elation, like it made me laugh and he's like, I protest, but it occurs to me you're unkillable. And I love it because it's like, you know what I mean? It's the whole thing of Cole being the, you know, the, the crash, the ninety five Cole, the two thousand two Cole on the edge, the two thousand twelve uh mustached, ponytailed uh hero that he was on the show. A great, great, great uh, antagonist to watch. Uh, you know, and then McConaughey, you know, delivers the last line of the series, which is the lights winning. And, uh, yeah, it just wraps up, man. And I'm just looking at the clock, and I'm like, man, that's it. Uh, moment of just happiness, really. I didn't expect to feel like that. I mean, the day before when we did the pre-finale Bobcast, I, I had no idea. How, we, we, we were talking about not being emotionally satisfied. We were talking about the story not wrapping up neatly. Uh, in my eyes, I, I believe that it was uh, a perfect screenplay, a 450-page uh, movie, if you will. I mean, it plays out like a movie. Like, take out, like, all the previews and shit, play it just straight f- through. Like, it, it could be amazing. Yeah, I thought it was fucking awesome, dude. And uh, I, I love where it's at. I, you know, looking back, like, I was hesitant to give, like, a prediction of what was going to happen, but... In my hesitation, I, I kind of feel like some of the shit I was saying rang true. Like, you don't find out the yellow king. You know, it doesn't, ra- you know, it, it, it was kind of a cliffhanger, but it, it, it wasn't because it was its own kind of twist ending where the light, it, it was dark for, oh my God. It, it's meta, it's meta, it's fucking meta television. It's meta fucking, I don't even know, it's, it's crazy. I love it. I like it. I think that uh, what Nick did is he took everything that he was uh, interested in in his life, in college, in his writing career, and he blended it all together. The experience on the show, The Killing, uh, put it all together. I mean, it's just this great majestic mixture, if you will, of just uh, intense, beautiful storytelling. And that's really what it is all about. It's about telling stories. And um, True Detective wraps up season one. Everyone online, of course, is now wondering, you know, what this means for the characters. We've discussed before before here on the Bobcast that uh, Matthew and Woody have said publicly that this is finite and they're not coming back. The idea of the Yellow King will be out there forever, but uh, I guess what some of the listeners out there are uh, curious about is uh, where's this leave True Detective? What's going to happen next? So 
Yeah, I, I went I did some research today and um I checked into what Nick was saying and um he reveals online today um what season two has to offer. Uh it will be a new cast of characters. And he says here that it's really early, but I'll tell you, it's about hard women, bad men, and the secret occult history of the United States transportation system. It's oh said to take place. It, it. It's said to take place uh, in Southern California. Um, I think he has been seen spotted, uh, spotted out there, maybe surveying. The idea of uh, transportation being like an occult is great. He also goes on to say that uh, he realizes the secret to his form- formula is to just keep being strange and uh, not play it straightforward, and you know go back and forth between, you know, I guess the supernatural, if you will, the crime drama. Uh, for the Bobcast listeners out there, if they want to see something funny, somebody did like a Law & Order type of uh, True Detective intro cast uh, spoof. It's hilarious. So, yeah, I, I think he did a great job wrapping it all up. Uh, I went on to read some more shit, which talks about like alternate endings that Nick uh, had envisioned for the characters. Uh, one of the endings, I'm not sure, Mickey, if you know this or not, but um, I find it interesting, is that he originally intended for Cole and Marty to just simply disappear. And uh, Papin and the other guy uh, would have to go and put together the pieces. Uh, I- that's a good segue into season two, I guess. Um, but, you know, now that you mentioned all this, now that you say all this, uh, it does give me hope for the next season. But is he going to come across any kind of, like, Hennite Shyamalan purse? I mean... This shit, this formula, I mean, I'd love to see it play out for five more seasons, like this erratic, you know, eclectic formula. But I, I don't know, will it be tired next year? Will we spot the Errol Childress if there is one? You know, will we know what to expect? Will we know that? I don't know. I don't know. God bless them. I hope it all works out. I hope it doesn't, like, sour. But uh, that's, uh, dude, the, the occult history of the transportation system is going to be fucked and great. Oh, my God. I want it. So he goes on to say in this interview that um, he thinks that, um, you know, the decision not to kill any of the main characters was uh, that uh, these men are left in a place of deliverance, a place where even Cole might be able to acknowledge the possibility of grace in the world. It's a great ending. It's a great ending. Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. But, yo, my question is, is it a comedy? Uh, you know what, though? No, I mean, it's given us such joy that I guess you could consider comedy, drama, crime, supernatural, thriller, all the genres mashed into one. Yeah, I know. It, I, how do you even judge? How do you even, you can't. You know, and, and, and I want to address all the people saying, like, oh, it's true detective, not true detectives. They gave that away in the one scene when Marty was talking to the, the old copper, and he's like, that's the name, not that's the genre, not the name. You know, so True Detective is the genre. It's not about one of the guys being the fucking secret yellow king fuckers. Yeah. It it leaves some questions, but ultimately for me, I was completely satisfied. I uh, enjoyed the series. I definitely enjoyed doing True Bobcast. Um, Pop culture, uh, could talk about it forever. I know vast amounts of uh, knowledge that is meaningless in uh, everyday conversation, but... uh, (laughs) If uh, you want to take the ride with Mickey and I and uh, talk about True Detective, we'll be back next season for uh, the True Detective Season 2 uh, Bobcast, True Bobcast. 
It's been a long ride, dude. Uh, I've had a great time watching this shit with you. You know? It's addictive, yeah. It's obs- we're obsessed. I mean, uh, I can't wait to stumble upon the next obsession. Um, it's good not to be obsessed with, um, you know, personal creative endeavors. I think it's a lot more satisfying to talk about things like that. I mean, we could talk about our, you know, bands or our comic books all day, but it's so much more rewarding to 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 give that obsession over to someone else's creation and just, like, fucking revel in it because it's, it's art at the end of the day, and we're artists and we're creative people, and we love this shit, man. Pop culture, pop cast, Bob cast. We're going to have a mascot, Bob Cat, for the Bob cast next, next episode. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's what... <laughs> I would thank all y'all for listening out in Bob World. I feel like we're going to be wrapping it up. My uh, detective intuition is leading me down that path. So I just want to, you know, give my thanks to you for sticking with the true Bobcast podcast, Bobcat, Bob podcast. And, uh, yeah, can't wait to uh, see what the next obsession is. We like obsessions here on the Bobcast. We like storytelling. We like to tell stories. Uh, I thank Mickey again. You've been listening to True Bobcast, and uh, tonight we're going to end with a quote from Rust. You know, you're looking at it wrong. The sky thing. Well, once there was only dark. You ask me, the light's winning. <laughs>